Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com, movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley and I'm super excited for this week's show because we're talking about Hannibal. So I'm joined by the most refined cannibal I know, Rob DiCristino. Uh, this week, the role of Rob DiCristino will be played by Julianne Moore. <laughs> um, we will be talking about Hannibal in just a few minutes, but first... Uh, I have to point out that if you follow our website, we did announce June Exploitation this week. That is our month-long celebration of exploitation and genre films. We put our calendar up so you can see. You know, it's it's mostly the same calendar every year because there are certain categories that uh, we have to include, like zombies and Italian horror and cops and '80s action. But we did add a few new categories this year, like sword and sorcery, Jackie Chan. And, of course, Albert Pune Day. Uh, so make sure you go to fthismovie.com and check out our post on Junesploitation. Rob, will you be participating this year? Of course I will. And I think you left out one very important new day. Oh, what's that? Is, is, is Nick Cage Day new? Oh, <laughs> Nick Cage Day is new. That is I was correct. like, he skipped over Nick Cage Day, and that is definitely new. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of uh, the no, one that's... non-exploitation day, but how could I not include a Nicolas no, Cage Day? Of course. Of course. Yeah, no, I'll definitely be in. And um, I was just talking to Adam the other day about just the the way that June exploitation shakes out. Usually June exploitation is good for me because I'm a teacher and it's right at the end of my school year. And usually I can like watch movies while I'm grading or something like that. And then usually about halfway through the month I'm off of work and so I can just dig in. But this June exploitation I think is going to be for everybody. I mean, there's a lot of people that are at home, you know, and I think this is not to make light of a you know bad situation, but I think this is kind of just what a lot of people quarantined really need right now. So I don't think that June exploitation could have come at a better time. It's pretty great. I hope so. Hopefully, uh, it lifts the spirits of some people who are stuck inside. And uh, there's plenty of stuff to watch on streaming, which is good news because, of course, all of our movies are in boxes. So this should be a very interesting <laughs> June exploitation for us here at the Bromley House. You'll figure it out. I, I want to say real quick, though, uh, Sword and Sorcery was one I think that's been suggested a couple years in a row, right? And, and this is the first year that we're enacting it? We had variations on it. Like, I probably should have just gone, like, eight, 80s fantasy, but uh, right. we had variations on it, but I don't think we've ever technically done a Sword and Sorcery day. Are you coming up with a plan, or are you just going to try to wing it by day? Because you you're, you can usually count on for multiples per day. I know a lot of us are lucky to get one in per day, or maybe one in every couple of days. But you know, usually at the Bromley House, there's usually three or four every day. So, do you have a plan already, or are you just going to kind of just go by the day? No, no plan. Uh, just going to go by the day. I think. Whenever you release the calendar, I always sit and make a list, and then. By like June 8th, I'm like, eh, no, I don't want that one. No, not that one. Not that one. And I end up just watching something because usually what ends up happening is I hear so many great recommendations in the comments. You know, you get right. so many people talking about what they've seen. And, you know, it's kind of like Scary Movie Month where you're like, well, oh, screw that. I, I'm going to watch this one instead because everybody seems to be watching this one. And then it be usually becomes four or five standout movies over the course of the month. And so I'm, I'm not even going to really bother. I'm going to like look a little bit and. I've been saving some first-time watches that I would have done at home in the last couple of weeks. I've been saving some of them because I knew they were kind of genre-y, and I was like, ah, I'll save that for exploitation because I, I would rather do that. And um, So my, my first-time watches are actually kind of down the last couple of weeks because I've been trying to be like, you know what, save it, save it, save it. 
and um, I think it's going to be fun. I, 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 I'm looking at the list right now, and uh, Jackie Chan Day is cool. What made you want to throw Jackie Chan in? I've been watching a lot of Jackie Chan movies lately. Okay, that'll do it. <laughs> yeah, that's about as <laughs> that's about as uh, as deep as that goes. Just I've been watching a lot of his movies, and I thought we've never. I think we uh, had a Jackie Chan Day when we did. Prior to June exploitation, one year we did this experiment called Thirty Stars of Summer, which was right. we just came up with thirty different actors, and you were supposed to watch one of those persons, uh, one of that person's movies that day, and it was okay. It didn't quite work, and I came up with June exploitation the next year, which was much better. But I think we had a Jackie Chan day for Thirty Stars of Summer, but haven't had a Jackie Chan day since. And it just seemed to make sense. Like I said, I've been watching a ton of Jackie Chan movies lately and felt like watching another one on that day. So I was looking – the one thing I will say is I'm looking at Lethal Ladies Day and I was going to do a um, – I was going to do a little bit of a Jonathan Demme, uh, speaking of Hannibal, uh, a little bit of a Jonathan Demme run just through some stuff I hadn't seen. And he did um, – I've seen Caged Heat, but didn't he do another Corman-like – Lethal Ladies type movie. Yes, Do you remember he did. What is the it, heck was it? Um, is it Crazy Mama? No, he didn't do Crazy Mama. Um, okay. It says he directed it. It says he did Crazy Mama? It says he, yeah, it says he Oh, well, then wrote I'm produced. an idiot. Then he must have done Crazy Mama. Because it looks like uh, My Black Mama, White Mama, Hot Box, Angels Hard As They Come, he wrote. But Caged Heat and crazy mama it says on wikipedia that he directed yeah according uh, to imdb he did too so i just spoke completely out of turn i apologize okay so speaking of saving things for that I was, that's what i was thinking i was gonna do like i was gonna try to see how some of the things i'm gonna watch anyway are gonna fit into into June exploitation but no it's really fun and anybody who's listening and hasn't done it before it's a great way to kind of center yourself and and and, and for, it forces you to kind of not go outside your comfort zone but it does kind of help you along with um discovering new things you know if you're not a big western person or if you're not a big uh, uh you know albert Pune fan for example <laughs> um which you know i know is nobody on this site um but you 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 end up narrowing down i know sometimes when i'm looking at stuff to watch if i just pull up amazon i can just i'd scroll for half an hour before i find something i want but categorizing something and, and reducing it down to just okay here's a subgenre, and um it can really really be um, really fun and, and honestly free space day it, that's usually my catch-up day like a lot of times like i mentioned before that sometimes i'll see something somebody's watching sometimes i'll throw that in free space day if i already know that i want to watch something else like well i already have my italian horror movie but i also um you know i want to watch this other thing that somebody said it was good and so i'll throw that in a free space day so there's always ways around the structure and you can kind of find ways to make it work for you yeah, I mean, the way it's set up, a lot of people don't even watch an exploitation movie on Free Space Day. They watch, you know, a new release or just something they felt like catching up on. So th you can play it however you want. But I kind of do the same if, if somebody's recommended something really highly on another day and I can fit it in or find it streaming or something. I'll sometimes try to squeeze it in on Free Space Day. I usually have tried to just like – I don't typically make a list, but I'll usually pull stuff from our collection and say like, okay, I know I want to watch this or this will work for this day in June exploitation. And like I said, that's not going to work this year because, uh, everything is boxed up. So we're pretty much just relying on streaming this year. Well, you look at it as a challenge. <laughs> yes. Yes. It <laughs> will be as quite a challenge. Yeah. Right. If you haven't had enough. 
Um, but speaking of first time watches, have you seen anything good lately? Uh, I have. Yeah. Um, I want to talk real quick about, uh, a couple of things, but first one was, uh, I finally got around to seeing Abel Ferreira's King of New York. Ooh, very um, nice. Which I know is like a, you know, uh, um, well loved by a lot of, uh, our listeners and so on. Um, really, really loved it. I, I, I found it so sad. It was, so, it was, I just thought it was so profoundly sad. And, um, I, I love seeing this kind of Lawrence Fishburne performance, um, especially, you know, given the way he's kind of stuck to type for a lot of the latter part of his career. Um, Wesley Snipes is really fun. Uh, um, I really love Christopher Walken. I love that it is 40 minutes of Christopher Walken looking out windows. <laughs> um, I, I mean that in a, in a, a sincerely because, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it, but the final moment of the film, um, the final reveal, which I don't want to uh, really, uh, at least it was a reveal to me as I was watching it. Um, he spends so much time setting that up by repeating that like theme of him just looking out windows or looking at things or, or walking through the city. And um, that one of the reasons why I found the movie so sad was you know you see that long shot of him for about ten minutes just walking around New York, and then there's this big dramatic reveal, and it adds this whole other layer of texture to the last ten minutes, and it adds a whole other layer of texture to every other time you saw Walken doing that. And I, just, I just really loved it a lot. Abel Ferrer is, you know, a filmmaker. I, I like a lot. I really love Miss 45 and, and I haven't, but I haven't really seen, I haven't seen his whole filmography. So it definitely, speaking of Dunesploitation, um, it definitely sort of cued me up to really want to see a lot more of his stuff because I think I'm starting to get in sync with his sensibilities a little bit. Um, and I just, I really enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah. He's, I, I haven't seen all of his filmography either. And especially a lot of his more recent stuff. Um, he's one of those guys that like when he hits, he really, really hits. And then when he misses, it's like, well, that was interesting, but maybe not for me. Uh, King of New York is probably my favorite of all of his movies, even more so than like bad Lieutenant or something like that. Um, were you able to listen to the rewatchables podcast about King? No, not yet. Not yet. No. It's very much worth listening because you get a bunch of information about David Caruso and Tarantino talks about wanting to cast Lawrence Fishburne in Pulp Fiction and why that didn't work out. Uh, there's a lot of really interesting stuff in that episode. So I highly That's recommend awesome. it. it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll check it out. Um, the other thing real quick, I'll just, I uh, did a, a rewatch uh, the other night of a movie I reviewed back when, uh, a simple favor. Um, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm, I know, I know. Let me get to it. I'm going to come down on the side of this movie. Um, and it's not just Anna Kendrick, although I do think it's one, it is one of her best performances. Um, this is such a sleazy, incoherent, messy, fussy, like, pulpy thing. And, it, and it's just, it's so up its, I don't want to say it's up its own ass, but it's, when you, when, you see, when you see Blake Lively walk into a public park wearing a tuxedo and pink gloves, and you're like, this is a film. This is a motion picture. Um, I really enjoy it. I, I, for some reason, I watched it the first time and I was like, this is okay. This is fun. It's a little incoherent. It's got that noir thing and suburban noir. Okay, Paul Feig, I get you. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it a lot more once I, once I bought into that on the second viewing and I, I watched it with the commentary track and, um, Paul Feig just sounds like just an insufferable asshole. But I, uh, <laughs> I, I, to me, I think that kind of lends to the film, you know, like I'm like, okay, this is, this is about the clothes. This is about the aesthetic and, and, 
these are the kinds of things I would prefer him make. You know, like, I, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. You know, I like Bridesmaids just fine. I like Freaks and Geeks a lot. But, like, I want him to make weird shit like this. I don't really want him shooting for, like, Studio Gold. I, 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 I think it's a really, really weirdly interesting movie that I know I'm going to, you know, I'll die on the hill for it. But um, I think it's, 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 it's messy in a fun way. That's all I'll say. I think there's a lot of people on your side. I think it's, a you know, according to Twitter, it's a very well-liked movie. Um, I wish it was a it's little. It's going to be a pulpy. Yeah, pulpy maybe is a good word. I don't see sleazy because I just think there's too much, like, lifestyle porn in it. I almost wish it was yeah. a little bit sleazier, but I don't think Paul Feig is the guy to make that movie. And I think that's probably, I think when I say, I think it's his kind of, what he sees as sleazy, as in, <laughs> in terms of like exploitative or like, or right. like indulgent. Maybe instead of sleazy, I'll say indulgent. Indulgent like it's, makes it's sense, that, yeah. You know what I mean? Where we spend 10 minutes watching Blake Lively make a martini, you know, but it's like, <laughs> I don't know. There's this, like the last 15 minutes of the movie just make, they make no sense, but in that wonderful film noir way, like, you know, and they, there's so many noirs that just. And I'm not going to put this on the level of the classic noirs, but in terms of like that kind of exploitation, like no, this is the kind of movie that's based on a you know a, a, a you know kind of a pulpy novel or something like that, but it's done up in this very fussy kind of you know New York quote unquote way. Um, I, I just I just enjoy it. I'm just I just got the urge to watch it and I just had fun with it. So I'm just gonna I'm not gonna dive too deeply into it. I'm not sure. gonna make you record a podcast on it or anything. But <laughs> not um, yet. It's one of those <laughs> two years from those now. It's going to be your. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, lastly, though, uh, and, I, and I promise I'll do this quick. Uh, as I mentioned on our Zoom call, I did finally see the Saul franchise. I saw the Saul oh, sequels yes. <laughs> uh, uh, for the first time. I had seen, as I said before, I had seen the first one, which I really like. I like bottle episodes. I'd seen the second one which I sort of like unfairly, I think at the time dismissed as like MTV presents the real world Saul house, um, <laughs> which, which, which isn't really fair, like as fair to the movie as I remember it being, cause I totally forgot the Donnie Wahlberg plot. And I really liked that part of the movie. Um, I like the way it snarls continuity a little bit. Um, to me, the third one or the second one, uh, yeah, no, the second one is kind of the last one where, and I'll kind of skip to my thesis about the series. It's the last one where the the twists are part of the actual dramatic function of the movie right. and not just like we're going to make here's a bunch of traps that have a theme to them that are backwards engineered, which is where I think a lot of the sequels end up going. Um, the third one, I, I like the Amanda stuff uh, and then it, it kind of falls off for me. So, so I, before I get into it really deeply, like what to you – and not that you have to defend anything. What to you is like the appeal of the sequels? Because you mentioned like Saw Six, you liked a lot. And is there anything really like? Are there any nuggets in there that you really especially go in for on your rewatches? I think I'm just a sucker for I the think... insane continuity of the whole thing because aesthetically, yeah. it's not really my bag. Um, narratively, right. it's not totally my bag because I'm not into like a lot of the torture stuff. Um, it's really the first. The first one is the only one that really works as a narrative. The rest of them kind of just repeat a structure that's mostly right, about right. the traps. I thought six again because it's attempting something bigger. It's like, oh, hey, what if the Saw series was actually about something? Um, and it presents right. us with a protagonist that we don't really like, but who we still want to see succeed, and a guy who's like trying to do better. Uh, as opposed to a garbage human who were just waiting to die, which is kind of the protagonist of a lot of these movies. Um, right. 
And like, you know, sometimes the twists I think are very clever. I think it's four where the twist has a lot to do with like the chronology of the whole thing. Do I have that right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. I thought that was really interesting. I just, I like like a series that rewards you for having seen these movies and like, and really studied them. For sure. For sure. I like the idea of John being this like, like well-intentioned extremist. Like, it really gets a lot more into his backstory with his wife and stuff. And when they have the whole, as Adam calls him, detective Saul kind of thing, where <laughs> you're like, there's this, there's this other guy. We keep throwing all of these other mentors because you have to kind of, it really does write you into an interesting corner. You know, they wrote themselves into an interesting corner by killing him off early in the series. Cause now you do have to backward engineer the continuity and kind of make, um, make little corrections or adjustments or expand the world of the movie a little bit by show, even in some scenes where it's, Oh, remember this scene? There was actually another person in the room, which in some ways is cheating, but at the same time with the aesthetic of the movie, the the series, like you're like, okay, no, this fits in with the way the series is constructed. And I really like that a lot. I liked saw six a lot because it was, this is the truther one, right? This is her, this is truther John versus the insurance industry where you realize that like, he would have been much better off writing a like a blog than like murdering people because <laughs> his whole thing is just like fuck insurance you know uh, uh, doctors are too cold and clinical and all that and like but I like that stuff like he's I mean he's wrong about all this but like it's it's that thing where you're like yeah but like I can see why he's pissed off I can see why he's upset you know um, so I enjoyed I think I really liked Saw three a lot of the of the ones that were new to me I liked I liked three I liked six. Seven has that like Oof. not Jay Moore guy. Um, <laughs> uh, like this is watching him. Like you're not Jay Moore. Um, I like the idea of like the fake Jigsaw, sur- but the movie doesn't do anything with that. That whole like oh he's a Jigsaw survivor and he's getting press and blah blah blah. But then the, the whole third act is just, such a great uh, idea about like the support group and the survivors. Yeah. Like and then they bring an old guy back in and you're like yeah. oh okay like. And then nothing. <laughs> no, they do nothing with that great idea. They yeah, do, that is they nothing with it. probably my least favorite of the series, which is a bummer because it comes right on the heels of my favorite of the series. Yeah. Uh, and then Jigsaw, I, I mean, they rebooted the franchise to do that. Like, I, I was, yeah. I, I don't know. I was, yeah. I was kind of bummed out by that because I was like, hey, you know. Okay, but I right. thought it was going to be something a little different, you know. But overall, I like the series, and and I think that you know it's it's because it's one of those villain based franchises that you know, and maybe of the big slashers, I guess maybe like you know, like Freddy or Chucky probably come the closest where you really do get a lot of charisma out of the quote unquote lead killer, you know, the slasher, even though it's not a slasher series. But um, I, I, I wish that I wish the series had forced a little bit more out of him a little bit more maybe like interiority of his character or a little bit more of him maybe even like messing up a lot or um just being a little bit different they, they brought him back and, and Tobin Bell is so interesting in the role because he's got that voice and he's got that look uh, it's nice that they kept bringing him back to reveal this and to real reveal that but I really think that it's just they could have gotten a little bit more drama out of him um since as an audience by the time I'm getting to Saul 6 or Saul 7 I really do I don't want to say I trust him, but I'm so used to him and I'm so invested in him as a character that I wish they would have just done a little bit more with him in terms of his own ups and downs. And um, and I know that's kind of a silly – some people might say, well, that's a silly thing to say from this particular kind of horror series. But um, it's one of those things where it's like there's so many good things about it that you wish it would just do a great thing. 
you know, it's that thing where it's you almost you criticize it a little bit more because it's right. so close to being really great that you just wish it had taken that extra little step. Right. Uh, but overall, I like it, and I wanted to ask you because uh, I've been looking at some lists. Uh, do you have a favorite saw trap? <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even tell you what a lot of them are. Um, do you think that you could guess? I'm looking at a USA Today article, <laughs> the top seven. Do you think that you could? Off the top of your head, do you think you could tell me what was voted number one? Uh, needle Pit. Needle Pit is close. Needle Pit was, I think, in the top. Actually, Needle Pit was uh, seven. Oh, uh, number, number one was the reverse bear trap. Number, number one is the Amanda, uh, the one that she escapes. Oh, they went with a classic. Yeah, yeah. Which, which I, can, I can almost get behind because it is one that is not necessarily... Like, when you get to the point where it's the white supremacists in the car and, like, the girlfriend is under the tire and it's like, your friends follow you everywhere and, and they <laughs> blindly do whatever. Like, there's so much scaffolding to get in with the in with the, yeah. the, uh, the, the trap. I like the simplicity of the – even the Venus flytrap on the second one, um, which is kind of a variation on the bear trap one. Um, but I like, the, I like the, the bear trap. I think that's a solid choice. Um, yeah, I guess I can't really argue with it. I mean, the more convoluted they get, the less interested I am, you know, and, and it helps when you have somebody escape one because otherwise what, what suspense is there? You know, we're just waiting for the thing to go off so we can see what horrible way it's going to mutilate a person. But the idea that somebody might actually get out actually generates some suspense because we're wondering if this thing is going to kill them or not, which most of the sequels don't do if I'm remembering correctly. No, they don't. They just, it's just the movie opens and okay, here it's almost like a, you know, it's like the opening of a James Bond film. It's like, Oh, here we are. (laughs) in this adventure, let's see how he gets out of this one. It's like, all right, let's see these assholes who get killed. Like the one with the girl hanging was a saw seven where it's the girl hanging. It was it no, it might be jigsaw. I think the girl's hanging in the, off the ceiling over the saw. And there's the two boyfriends it's like the two guys she's sleeping with, and they have to decide whether or not they're going to kill each other or I her. I think that's Jigsaw, but I've only seen that. I've only seen Jigsaw and Seven once a piece in the theater, and I haven't gone back and revisited either yeah. of them. And you're just looking at it, and you're watching it. And you're going, "All right, well, I know that I know where this is going. Right. I know I'm never going to. I'm not going to see these three characters again. And I just kind of like I'm like walking around my house doing things. I'm like, all right, I'll just wait until the scene is over until I see the, until I see the title and then I'll pay attention. That's all you can but, do. Um, no, overall it's, it's overall it's fun. You know, it's not, you know, I'm not a huge, like, I think that the, the torture porn aesthetic is kind of, you know, mm. gone from our cult consciousness, but you know, saw one, saw three, saw six. There's, there's some solid stuff in there. Those are my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. One, three and six. Uh, good. Um, what have I got? Uh, we watched the original 1975 Rollerball the other night, which I had never seen. Have you seen it? I have, but, uh, not for some time. That was like when I was super film douchey in college. I haven't seen it since then. Uh, it was okay. You know, like it had that kind of seventies vibe that we're digging. Um, but it's a lot slower than I anticipated and isn't about a whole lot, which actually I had seen the remake, the John McTiernan directed remake with Chris Klein and LL Cool J. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw that opening day in theaters, of course. Um, 
And that tries to get into a lot of like corporate control stuff, which there's a little bit of in the original, but not as much as I was anticipating, particularly for it being a movie from the 1970s. Um, James Caan is always fun to watch and the stuff with the actual, you know, sport of rollerball is interesting, but, um, we rented it because we were going through the twilight time sale because twilight time is ending. And so this is kind of your last chance to pick up a bunch of their titles. And we were going through some and I saw rollerball and I was like, well, I've never seen this. Do we blind buy it? And instead we rented it off Amazon and I'm kind of glad because it's not a movie I can see myself revisiting a whole bunch. So I'm glad I didn't spend the money to blind buy it. Am I kind of remembering right that Rollerball, Logan's Run, Westworld, there's a lot of that that 70s sci-fi aesthetic that is like you've got a really great premise. You've got a really great first half hour. And then there's like a middle half hour where it doesn't feel like anything is happening. Yeah. I mean I kind of like all that 70s sci-fi. I mean, I do too. I'm just saying, like, I kind of remember that kind of being a thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, we had just done a show uh, with Jackson Stewart on the Omega Man, which is, you know, kind of falls into this category as well. And I think that movie sees its premise through. Um, Westworld kind of does. I haven't watched the TV show of Westworld. Have you? Uh, No, not yet. And everything I read is like, first season is great, and then it's not great. So it's hard to jump on board and invest myself in like, you know, three not great seasons for one good season. And I like like Westworld, the movie. I like Logan's Run, the movie. I like, uh, if I I don't remember Rollerball, but I'm sure I would like it if I rewatched it. But I don't mean it's a bad thing. I just mean that there is so much, there is so much work that goes into the design of sci-fi, which I think really, really does show you just how much sci-fi changes after Star Wars. You know, because of the way, even like something, there's a lot of riffs on Planet of the Apes, you know, in the early to mid 70s. And then you kind of see how the energy of sci fi changes. So, um, would you, should I go back, should I I rewatch Rollerball? It's not really like a hard recommendation. No, you know, as a, again, like it's got a cool 70s sci fi vibe, but not a whole lot else to recommend it. Um, And then, because it's quarantine and we're looking for (laughs) the (laughs) most possible escapism, we went to Netflix and watched uh, the new Happy Madison comedy, The Wrong Missy, starring David Spade and Lauren Lapkus. I don't know why. There's a bunch of the the Netflix Sandler movies that I have skipped. Um, I watched that first one that came out, The Ridiculous Six, which I reviewed for the site. And then I don't think I've watched another one of his Netflix movies. Uh, That's not true. I watched the one he made with David Spade, which was called like The Do-Over or something like that. Um, The Wrong Missy is not great. Uh, I think it's worth watching. I'm a fan of Lauren Lapkus. I like her on Comedy Bang Bang. I like her on Freedom. So she was the reason that I wanted to watch the movie. I think she's funny in the movie, even though she is once again playing a nightmare human. And most Adam Sandler movies categorize women into two groups, nightmare woman or supermodel. And this movie like codifies that by literally giving David Spade two choices, both named Melissa, (laughs) one played by Molly Sims, who's the perfect woman. She reads all the same books as him. She laughs at all of his jokes. She wants to go have sex with him in a janitor's closet at the airport right after meeting him. Um, And then Lauren Lapkus's Missy, 
who is uh, a, a psychopath. Um, and I won't tell you how things shake out, but it, it's not a good movie. I'm not recommending it, but uh, Lauren Lapkus <laughs> is funny. When you, when you, because I didn't even know this existed, and when you gave me the title, I typed it in and I brought it up and I just scrolled down to the plot summary and the first random paragraph I read says, in Hawaii. And I was like, of course. Of course it is. <laughs> of course. Yeah. As soon as they're like, we're going on this tropical vacation for work, it's like, well, of course they are. It's an Adam Sandler movie. His wife has a role, so she got to bring the kids, you know, and uh, paid vacation. Yeah, Yeah, that's and that's what most of those are. Just we're going into Hawaii on Netflix's dime. Hey, you know what? And I don't, I can't criticize. Hey, you know, like I haven't, I can't criticize Adam Sandler one because Uncut Gems rules, but also (laughs) because like he's making the right decisions. Let him do his thing. Um, I have not seen this. So has his wife acted before Jackie Sandler? She has her name, like small roles in a lot of his movies. Okay. Like if you've seen a okay, lot cool. of Adam Sandler movies, you probably yeah. recognize her. She's part of his, uh, company troop, but, uh, is, uh, does, uh, Kevin James make an appearance? Sadly, no, but Rob Schneider does. Oh, you gotta keep him eating and david spade oddly enough playing like the straight man for the entire movie uh which is weird because once upon a time david spade would make movies where he was the funny one i thought like joe dirt is based around yeah. like joe dirt is the funny one and dickie roberts the joke is that he's the funny one but here he's just playing the straight man reacting to the funny things that lauren lapkus is doing i wonder if that's like because post chris farley uh, David Spade, you know, cause you look at like something like Tommy boy or black sheep where he is kind of reacting to right. Chris Farley. But yeah, I guess in the absence of that, he's kind of had to re redefine. Um, you didn't tell me, uh, that there was a, uh, as himself role. Oh yeah. By one Robert Van Winkle. Yeah. Not better the first, known as vanilla. Ice. Not the first time he's shown up in an Adam Sandler joint as himself. Where has he shown up before? Uh, I want to say that's my boy. Okay, the, I didn't see that one. The Sandler right. Sandberg comedy. Got I'm pretty it. sure Vanilla Ice has like a pretty big role as himself. Okay, I'll, have to, I'll check that one out. Yeah. All right. Uh, and then uh, we have rewatched the entire Pirates of the Caribbean franchise because they're almost all on Disney Plus, and our kids have never seen them, so we've been working our way through those. Where do you stand on those movies? So I um, so w- was this uh, rewatch. Uh, I know Disney Plus, but was this also inspired by a particular podcast currently doing a series on the films? It was not at all. And interestingly enough, okay. then we were probably four movies in when I found out that We Hate Movies is actually podcasting through the entire thing, and I've listened to the first two episodes, yeah. and I don't agree with anything really that they say. But I was telling Erica, like, it's so nice to be comfortable and confident in your own opinions and not get upset when someone doesn't like the thing that you like. (laughs) Like I listen to it. I'm entertained by it. I can understand why they don't like it. I still do. So I'm not on the same page, but I just think about all the vitriol that like DC fans have when suicide squad gets a bad review or star Wars fans have when uh, rise of Skywalker gets a bad review and they just have to, freak out all over the internet it's like no just calm down it's okay for somebody not to like the thing that you like right it's okay to just you know as as those guys say it's okay to like a movie um and yeah i i like uh i like we hate movies a lot and i what i found really interesting was 
um, I think I've only listened to the first one so far. They, it really ended up being like a lot of them talking about things that they like in the movie. So it was one of those things where you're kind of, you can see how they're like giving it some credit, but also, um, you know, kind of having to stick to the, to the shtick of the, the show. But, um, so I, so I have seen the first one, which I saw when it came out and I saw the fifth one when Adam and I reviewed it for, Oh, interesting. Uh, okay. I had not seen the middle three and I also went and I think my watch was probably more inspired by, um, by we hate movies and also, um, just being at home with my son and, and, you know, he's five and I'm, and I'm trying to like, start to ease him into, uh, live action stuff. Cause he's, he's way into animation. Um, he loves, uh, Despicable Me. He likes the Incredibles. He likes Bolt. He likes a lot of those movies. And I'm trying to kind of find some kid friendly stuff that he can kind of ease his way into. And I thought maybe the ships and the pirates and the music and stuff. He wasn't super into the first one, but then I went ahead and watched, uh, Dead Man's Chest, um, which I thought was like kind of just fun as a fun sequel. It's got a big Cthulhu monster at the end, I guess. And, um, <laughs> I have, but I haven't seen the middle two. I haven't seen World's End or On Stranger Tides yet. I'm and not I don't really, remember the fifth. Yeah, I'm not really a fan of On Stranger Tides. Um, it turns yeah. out that Gore Verbinski, I think, brought a lot to those movies because I believe it's the same screenwriters for the first four, different screenwriter for the fifth one, which I'm mixed on. There's stuff in the fifth one that uh, you and Adam had reviewed that I really like, and then there's a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. that I'm a little less enthusiastic about. Um, I prefer it to On Stranger Tides, which I have a really hard time finding much to like in. Uh, but that's because it's directed by Rob Marshall, and he's just not very good, um, especially <laughs> with this kind of material. Gore Verbinski really leans into the weirdness of it and knows how to shoot action and knows how to stage a set piece and knows how to do effects. I mean, he really, uh, you know, I, I wrote something like this uh on Twitter as we were rewatching them, but I just, I watched those movies and I know that they're bloated and I know that they're overly busy. Um, and they're probably too long for a lot of people's tastes. I get all that, but I just am so blown away by the fact that like these Disney Hollywood blockbusters are so weird. And I miss big movies that were willing to be weird. Yeah, no, I think, and like I said, I can only speak to a couple of them, but I like that they're big and bloated. I like that I can put one on and be like, all right, well, this is my afternoon. You know, like, I know that this yeah. is going to be on for a while. And I can check in and out of it, you know, because it is just at least the first two are just set piece after set piece after set piece. And um, I don't know. I think that I agree with you. I think that plays to the series' uh, strengths. Um, and you're right, by the way, the screenplay, uh, Terry Rossio writes one through four, and then yeah. there's separate screenwriters for five and six. So, um but uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'll, I'll definitely continue. Um, he wasn't, uh, you know, my son wasn't as really paying attention to them yet, so I'll probably have to just continue them on my own. But um, I will watch. Uh, what's next? Worlds at World's End. At World's End, yeah. Uh, good, um, good cliffhanger at the end of part two. I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, uh, which kind of did did kind of keep me, you know, obviously interested in the in the uh, in the series. So uh, yeah, no, I don't really have a. I don't have a, a, an axe to grind against them yet, only because I've only seen a couple, but I will check back in uh, once I've finished. All right, cool. Let's talk about Hannibal. Um, Let's do it. We had done a podcast on The Silence of the Lambs a couple years ago, and I know we both mm-hmm. really love it. And then recently I started thinking about, well, maybe there's a show in its sequel, Hannibal, from 2001. And 
then I think I was listening to Shockwaves, maybe, and Ryan Turek was kind of running his way through the entire Hannibal Lecter franchise and spent a couple minutes talking about Hannibal. And I was like, yeah, this is probably the time. So um, yeah, f- was able to find my Blu-ray before boxing it up and uh, put it on. I will start off by saying that I am a fan of this movie. Um, I think a couple months ago we did our redoing our favorites of the year 2001. I don't remember how long ago. It could have been 2019 for all I remember. Um, And I think both Erica and I included Hannibal on our 10 best list for 2001. That's how big of a fan of the movie I am. But where are you at on Hannibal? So I grew up, um, as I said, on the Sounds of Land show, a huge fan of the franchise, um, which at that point was just the one movie up until 2001. Um, well, it was Manhunter, but I didn't discover Manhunter until way later. Um, as I, I said on that show, uh, Silence of the Lambs is not only one of my favorite movies, it was one of my mom's favorite movies growing up, so I watched it a lot. Got really into the idea of the Hannibal Lecter character, and I remember very specifically, I'm a freshman in high school, I think, when Hannibal comes out. I remember my mom, I, I didn't go, but I remember my mom going to see um, Hannibal, and I remember her telling me that she liked the movie, but they couldn't get tickets early enough, and so she sat in the front row. Um, so imagine sitting all the way down right <laughs> up against the screen and having to look up to watch a movie like Hannibal. So, um, not to interrupt, but when we went to see yeah. Hannibal opening night, yep. we got to the theater, and the, the way that the theater is set up is there's like two big wings, and then there's a center section with four enormous – well, you've been to the theater – four giant screens in the center. And that's where the lobby is and the main concession stand and stuff. So we got – there to see the movie and we run into Erica's mom who was at an earlier screening that's still going, but had to step out of the screening because she was basically having a panic attack during that last segment with Ray Liotta. Like it got to her so badly. She had to leave the theater cause she was freaking <laughs> out. Uh, she was so upset by what was on screen. So then we're like, Oh boy, what are we in for? What are we going to see? Um, anyway, continue. No, it's okay. Um, yeah, but she, I, she, I remember her telling me a lot of things about it and I had read the book. Um, I read the book before I saw the movie, but I, I don't remember ever going back to the book. So no. my memory of this particular particular story is the movie, and I saw it on at V8 when it came out of VHS. I, I rewatched it. I was in. I'm in for this franchise. I'm in for these characters. Um, it it probably didn't strike me then the way it strikes me now. Just how profoundly weird this movie is. <laughs> um, because at that point, I was so just like, oh, yeah, fucking sounds like, you know, sounds like Hannibal, Thomas Harris, like, I love these guys. Oh, yeah, they're, you know, uh, you know, I don't necessarily care that much that Clarice has been recast because she's playing a very different character, blah, blah, blah. And then you get to the end of the movie and you're kind of like, what, 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 what is this? And, and, I, and, and I, I say that because I agree with you. I also like this movie, although we have to talk about how this movie kind of gets in light of the Brian Fuller television series um, is, is kind of one upped a little bit in my opinion by that, but we could talk about that. Um, I think that this movie is really, really weird. And you, and you talked about um, in our discussions of the movie before looking at this movie as a kind of a campy black comedy. 
and that being a, a door into really appreciating it. And mm-hmm. I think that I, on this rewatch, I really have come to agree with that. Like this, you have to look at this movie for its weirdness. You have to lean into it for its weirdness. Um, you know, I can see why Jodie Foster, Jonathan Demme, even Ted Talley, the original screenwriter, like bailed out of this one because they're like, you know what? The first movie is about people. This movie is about monsters and and um we, we're not into that and that's fine because it almost to me protects the silence of the lambs and it keeps it off in its own little thing and just allows me to kind of just get in and get weird with this movie so i um i like it um i, I think it's got a lot of problems but um I'm, I'm a fan it does it absolutely has a lot of problems and i understand why a lot of people reject it especially if they are fans of the silence of the lambs um yeah this is not <laughs> this is not that movie. No, and it's not it at all. If you're looking for more of the same, it's 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 akin to the jump from like between the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Where if you're a big fan of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and then you go see part 2, you're like, "Wait, what the hell is this? Why is this so like noisy and shrill and insane and goofy?" And not to say that Hannibal is is shrill um or even goofy, but as you said, it is definitely very, very weird, and it kind of tells you that right off the bat. But, you know, especially when you're at the end, and here's Gary Oldman buried under this Mason Verger makeup doing this crazy characterization, being fed to man-eating pigs. You're like, right. you're either on board with that or you're not, right? And I've just always been on board with it. And, and yeah, no, and for sure. And, and, I was thinking about this because, because again, seeing, growing up with this movie, watching it a lot, but now looking at it from more of a, you know, just a little bit more of a worldly perspective. At least I like to think so, um, and especially now having seen a lot more Jonathan Demme films um, or pictures, as he as he'd say, hmm. um, I was thinking about one of my notes. I wrote, you know, why why would Demme pass on this? Why do you think? And like, this is just not a Jonathan Demme picture at all. Like, there's nothing for him here. Um, and it makes me glad that he passed on it. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, ne- I don't necessarily know that Ridley Scott, I mean, I like Ridley Scott. I think he's, you know, I, I enjoy Ridley Scott quite a bit. I think he's got a lot of different tones and flavors and sometimes he hits and sometimes he doesn't, but he's always doing something. And, um, this is just not, I'm, I'm so glad that Demi didn't do this. Yeah. <laughs> it's this big operatic gaudy thing. And like, I just, there's nothing for him there. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad he didn't do it. And, and as well, am I glad that, that Jodie Foster did not come back to play Clarice um, because, and and I might say this later in regards to the, the television series, um, which which I hadn't seen the last time we talked about, when we talked about Silence of the Lambs. Now I am a huge fan of it. Um, I like that the Silence of the Lambs is protected uh, in its own little box. Um, Jodie Foster owns that performance. Clarice Starling is my favorite film character of all time, specifically in the Silence of the Lambs. Um, and I like that this is so different that it doesn't have that sequel feeling to it. It doesn't have that like, oh well, this first one was really great, but then things kind of got corrupted. You know, it's not the it's not the Matrix Revolutions kind of thing where it's like, yeah, right. eh, we went too far. This goes far, but it refreshes. And Julianne Moore, like, is I don't have a problem with particularly. I mean, she obviously I love her as an actress, but in this movie, she's, I mean, she's in the basement for most of the movie. She doesn't <laughs> have a lot to do. Really. Um, I think one of my notes was that Clarice. Uh, this is a movie in which Clarice sits in a basement, watches videos, gets fired, cleans her kitchen, goes to the mall, and gets shot. 
Um, she doesn't do a lot. <laughs> so, so there's not really room for Claire, you know, for, for Julianne Moore to really like, Oh, she's messing up this great character. Um, but, but considered as its own thing with its own tone, with its own aesthetic and, and just, it's this weird little goofy offshoot of this universe that I really enjoy. Um, and, and taken as a whole with red dragon and, and with sounds of the lambs and everything else in that sort of universe. Um, I, I think it's really fun. Um, do you think that Anthony Hopkins, uh, how do I want to ask this question? What kind of things do you think Anthony Hopkins is doing in this movie that he wasn't doing in silence? Or do you think he's better or worse? Or does the Hannibal Lecter character, here's the question I want to ask. Does the Hannibal Lecter character suffer by overexposure? in this movie as opposed to silence. Yeah, a little bit. And, and, you know, part of it is part of the appeal of Hannibal Lecter in the original film is that he is so contained. He's locked behind this cell. Um, and so his whole performance is with his voice and with his eyes. And in this movie, he's running all over the place and he's in Italy and he's stabbing people and he's cutting them up and he's eating brains. And he's, uh, definitely going a lot bigger. There's nothing particularly chilling or scary about, Hannibal in this movie, he's just part of the bigger freak show that is the overall film. Um, so I, I don't think there's any question that like it's a better performance and a better character in the silence of the lambs. Um, here he's just part of the, it's like a universal pictures monster bash from the 1940s, right? Where we just <laughs> take all these different monsters and pit them against one another. And he's just Frankenstein's monster, you know? Um, because this movie could have the Cars 2 problem where it's the supporting character, you know, is given the, a sequel to themselves, you know, sure. it's the Fat Amy problem. Right, right, right. Um, but I think the movie the movie generally skirts around that, I think, because we are so captivated. Even even though so much of his characterization with Clarice says, hey, remember when we did that thing together? That was so <laughs> great. Um, I, I do think that, that the movie gets around it just because of its feel, just because of its tone. Like you kind of, you know, you, you, you buy into that or you don't, as you said. Right. Uh, weirdly enough, no one, there's no real characterization in the movie. Nobody grows, nobody changes, nobody learns anything. <laughs> like, oh, it's, it's, it's a freak show, as you said. Yeah. Um, and that, I mean, that's a problem with the movie, you know. Uh, even Clarice's sort of disgrace at the start of the film doesn't really contribute no, to her arc of the rest of the movie. Nobody really has an arc at all. No, and, and, and the movie is, I was thinking about it this way, the movie is ostensibly about Clarice Starling, who worked so hard to get into the FBI, to get overcome the sexism and the misogyny and all the things, and, and you know, the legacy of her father, you know, the, the dead police officer, and, 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 and giving her life over to us. We, we focus in 10 years later on her being disgraced by this, this operation that goes wrong through no fault of her own, and, and which, when you look at the way... You know, you look at some issues with law enforcement these days, you're like, wait, a person was actually held responsible for this? Like, that's crazy. Um, The movie seems to be, from Clarissa's perspective, about her disillusion with the system and Hannibal Lecter helping her by killing Paul Krendler, who sort of symbolizes that inherent misogyny and 
corruption and all those things because he's the centerpiece he's the one who's working with mason verger and he's the one who's kind of pulling these these strings these institutional strings that are all stacked against clarice but like the movie doesn't do a lot with it It doesn't really announce that you know that's not really the hannibal doesn't seem to be doing that for his like it, it even though in the book he and clarice run off together the movie doesn't do that but like it doesn't seem to be focused on that as a narrative, you know, like it's not really about that, even though it seems like it should be. Well, and I know that that's sort of famously an ending that people hate and they probably would have rioted in the theater if they had kept that ending. I read the book when the movie came out. I don't remember the book that well. Um, I kind of remember that ending and I'm going to say something that nobody will like, which is, it would have made more sense if the movie had ended that way, because then there is an arc. Then it's, then it's this whole experience, this whole journey leading towards Clarice walking away from everything and embracing a life with this monster and saying that she's turning her back on the FBI, that she's turning her back on the regular world and instead is going to live this life with this monster. And I'm not saying that's like a good ending, but at least it all adds to something because as it stands again, no, nothing, no one changes in this movie. No. And I will say one that I, I largely agree with you in terms of the ending and two, that's what makes the TV show so compelling. <laughs> right. Uh, to me, because that's the Will Graham character. That's and, and, and you know we can talk about that or not. But the 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 idea of Hannibal having this corruptive influence on this person who is fighting with their ideology that they know that they are at odds with their what their instincts are telling them and what their their sort of overall moral imperative is, and they you know Hannibal kind of helps explore that, and a character goes one way or the other. But this movie is just not interested in that at all, and you can and. You know, it is important to note that there are characters in in the book that are not in the movie, specifically uh, Margot Verger, um, who was completely cut from the movie, probably because the screenwriters probably didn't really have an angle for that, um, because her her arc is largely about uh, trying to find a way to to, uh, (laughs) uh, uh, take reproductive material from her brother in order to have a baby so Mm -hmm. that she can get away from him, and Mm -hmm. the movie the movie cuts all that out and the movie doesn't dig into that. Um, I think the show does that in a really cool way, but um, it really does suck a lot of the characterization and a lot of the arcs out of this because it's just chapter one is Giancarlo Giannini running around Italy. You know, chapter two is, 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 is Clarice in a basement. Chapter three is Hannibal cooks. uh, uh, Jesus. Really, like, I think it was named Ray Liotta. Sorry, uh, Ray Liotta for dinner. You know, and it, and there there was really no characterization. There was no growing. There was no changing. So, um, but I still like it. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. Um, I did not see the third season of the TV show. I watched the first two seasons and just never saw the third. Not because I didn't like it. I actually really liked it a lot. But uh, I'm missing out on the on the end of that um, whole thing. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So the third season of Hannibal. The first season, or excuse me, the first half is the book Hannibal, and the second half is Red Dragon. Okay. Um, The movie kind of folds the two storylines, and characters are changed. Um, And I will say, if we're on the, just to get to that, and I don't want to go too much into it since you haven't seen it, but um, I think that the show does, and by you know, by virtue of the fact that it has six, seven hours to do it, 
does this story a little bit better um, by including the sister, by including um, it's it's Will Graham instead of Clarice, um, which at that point in the show, Will has much more of a uh, an investment with Hannibal. There, I mean, the end of this, the end of uh, I can't get into it. Never mind, you haven't seen it. Oh, <laughs> That's all right. Perfect. I'm really sorry. Um, but but I do think it speaks to the way that each interpreter of the Hannibal Lecter series has a different spin on it. Um, and I think that's really cool. Um, when you look at something like Manhunter, uh, which, you know, Michael Mann focuses on kind of like cold alienation and, um, you know, Demi focuses on, you know, he's empathy and humanism and he, and he's about that. And, you know, Ridley Scott is kind of like lyrical and he's more about technical, he's technical stuff. He's a little operatic. Um, Brett Ratner is about being a douchebag. I don't really know. I, <laughs> Let's say about that. Um, but then Brian Fuller, uh, Brian Fuller, as they say, is a messy bitch who lives for drama um, because that show is just a romance between two murder husbands. Right, um, right. And, and it's this like crazy uh, affair um, that I, that again, I, I really want to get into, but I can't. But um, my, to end with that, I'll just say, like, I think it's interesting interesting that this specific kind of material can really be approached from so many different ways whereas when you're talking about like Ridley Scott it's just like I'm gonna make a monster movie I'm gonna make a big grand operatic like weird monster movie um which I think brings us probably to Gary Oldman what do, what do you what do you think about Mason Verger <laughs> I think he's hilarious <laughs> I mean I think I think removing the sister plot which again i think part of that had to do with like how do we even cast this role she's like a female bodybuilder into like snm and stuff right um and and trying to like you said harness her brother's sperm like it's maybe more weirdness than this movie would have been able to carry and so they just wrote her out of the film but i think by losing her i think you remove i think Mason Verger would have been even more monstrous with her in the movie um, yeah. because she's the one who really sees what a monster he is. And we sort of see him and uh, her in relief to him. Um, but I think his performance is hilarious. I think it's hilarious that he decided to go unbuild. Um, and right off the bat, you know, when he's telling the story about cutting off his face and then there's a pause and it cuts to a close up. It seems like a good, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Like, yeah you know that it's a comedy right then, you know, Ridley Scott is kind of telling you up front, like, no, this is a, just a pitch black comedy. Um, I, I, Gary Oldman gives the performance of the movie for me. For sure. And it's apparently, allegedly, accordingly to whatever internet source, he wanted like top billing or no billing. apparently. <laughs> <laughs> top billing in a movie called Hannibal. <laughs> I want to be billed over Anthony Hopkins in the movie that's named after yeah. his character. Um, but, uh, no, I agree. He's, he's, he's fun as hell, man. And actually one of the things that really bothers me not to go back to the show, but, um, is that the actor who plays him on the show is kind of just doing an impression. Like he's kind of just, you know, called down, like he's doing that voice again. It's, it's Michael Pitt, um, right? It's Michael. It's, uh, no, it, it's the second season, uh, excuse me, the third season. He is played by a different actor. Oh, he's recast. Um, okay. He's recast in the second season. Uh, and I'm going to look up the name of the actor, even though it's whatever, but, um, yeah. And, and he plays him, he plays him cause with the prosthetic on his face. So he plays him much more just, uh, almost exactly just from the, got it. uh, from the show. I'll look up his name later, but whatever, but uh, from the movie. So he's kind of doing a Gary Oldman impression. 
Um, which, you know, whatever. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I don't necessarily, in the context of this movie, like, I think losing the Margot Verger uh, plot is probably fine because the movie just doesn't have room for it. Um, you have to have The Adventures of Hannibal, The Chloroform Bandit, because um, <laughs> that's more or less what he does for the whole movie. Um, but but then you have to ask yourself, in a movie that's two hours and ten minutes long or whatever it is, it's like, well, then what is it about? Right. You know? Right. And, and it's largely about Giancarlo Giannini's character, you know, um, who I like as an actor. I, I, I like him, I think. I yeah. know him from Casino Royale, and I know him from this. Is there anything else I should know him from? Oh, I'm sure. He's made some Italian yeah. movies that we should probably know him from. No, he's good, and his arc is okay. kind of uh, a tragedy, you know. Um, you don't really feel bad about any of the other victims in the movie, because, again, they're portrayed as different kinds of monsters, including Paul Krenler. Uh, Patsy, it just makes sort of a tragic mistake instead of being a, a bad guy, and that makes it more interesting. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, no, I and and um, I like. I don't know what to say. I, li- I like that that genuine mistake that he makes, and I like the way. I really like the scene of him confronting him in the. Um, in the library, uh, where he shows him the, the, the art, um, the art from his ancestors and stuff. And how excited, if you're Hannibal Lecter, how excited are you to find that the cop who is on your tail to turn you in has a historical precedent for a gory murder? He's like, he must have, sh- he must have shit his pants. He must have been like, oh my god, this is a potsy potsy. I can kill this guy the same way as I read in a book a guy got killed oh my god like you know he's just sitting there like applying chloroform to cloths like all excited you know <laughs> okie dokie yeah here we go okie dokie um, um what are your thoughts on on the movie Red Dragon um <sighs> so I, I I this the Red Dragon is what 2003 sure. right it comes out almost right after Hannibal right um, I like it as a story. Um, I, I think that it's been, again, it's just been done better. Um, Red Dragon is a story that suffers from being adapted so many times that it's hard to, uh, it's hard to stack them against each other, yeah. you know, or it's hard to see for itself because there's so many, I think Manhunter is really great. Um, especially cause I'm on this like man right now. Um, and um, I even think, again, as I said before, I think the show does it in a really nice way. I think it's fairly like it's 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 got moments. I don't really like Edward Norton as Will Graham, um, but other than that, uh, it's okay. Have to rewatch it. Yeah, I don't think I've revisited it since the theater. And at the time, I remember thinking like, well, that was slick and well made, but it lacks yeah, any kind of personality. Which think about, you know, Manhunter is all man's personality. Uh, right. Silence of the Lambs is so much of Demi's personality. Hannibal, it's not really Ridley Scott's personality because he's not a director with personality, but there's so much personality to the screenplay by Steve Zellian right. and David Mamet that like, you, you certainly can't say that Hannibal has no personality. It is a freak show. Uh, and Red Dragon doesn't really have its own personality. No, and and I think that is kind of it, it, the the the. the, the the Brett Ratner of it all does it does kind of just focus on like 
I remember the scares being very slick. I remember Ray Fiennes being very good. And um, I don't know, Patrick, maybe we should just do a Red Dragon show. Maybe we should just keep this going. <laughs> maybe we should. Until, until we do, yeah. I, I don't know necessarily that that has so much of a personality on its own. I think Ray Fiennes kind of walks away with that movie. And I think that um, Anthony Hopkins is probably like, well, look, I'm already in the makeup. Let me just knock this one out, too. <laughs> uh, We've never done a Brett Radner movie on the podcast. And maybe we never should. I I don't know. Like do, I don't mind him do as a, of, I, I I don't like him as a human being. I don't mind him as a filmmaker. Like oh no, I you know I think yeah, his films I, are competent. Um, uh, Brett Ratner. So we got what X Men X Two, right? We've got Rush Hour. Just just X Three. Uh, uh, That's the only Brett Ratner. Oh, well, I'm sorry, Brian Singer. The Brian other Singer, Monsters. who we also haven't X-Men. done on the podcast <laughs> and probably won't. Uh, is War Dogs worth watching or no? No. Okay. But that not was not uh, Brett Ratner. You like- that was Todd Phillips. Oh, oh, okay. Okay, I'm looking at his Wikipedia and I did not read that he's producer of that. He did The Family Man, though. Yes, which I like. Which is Cage. Okay, good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, so I remember because, again, I'm obsessed with this series when I'm a kid. So I remember Silence, Hannibal, and Brett, and, uh, Brett Ratner's Red Dragon. <laughs> Being all of a piece, you know, kind of just like, yeah, it's all good. So I'll just throw it all in together. But um, these, the, the first two films definitely have, well, I guess the second two films definitely have the most personality. Yeah. Mm. Um, so let's talk about Ridley Scott for a second because and, he's, a, he's such a, a fascinating filmmaker in that he has made movies I really like. He has made uh-huh. movies that are some of the best movies ever made. I think Alien and Blade Runner, I think you could both categorize as, well, those are two of the best movies ever made. And then he's made a bunch of movies that I really like. But at the same time, he makes movies that I could not give a shit about, right? Uh, Whether it's like, I may never see White Squall, or whether it's, I saw all the money in the world and I can't possibly give a shit about this movie. Um he just there's no consistency to how i feel about his work and his work on hannibal is odd because he's not the first guy who comes to mind when thinking about a movie like this but at the same time i appreciate he does seem to get the material um he understands how as we've pointed out already profoundly bizarre this whole thing is knows that it's funny, but still chooses to play it more or less straight. He's not winking, um, which is why I think a lot of people maybe missed the fact that this is a black comedy. Um, But then he does a lot of stylistic things that I can't stand. In the movie? Yes. In Hannibal? Like the the slow motion? Yeah, a lot of that strobey thing he does. Like... On what planet does that improve a movie? When has that ever made yeah. a movie better? Yeah, yeah, and I think he's probably thinking, "Well, this is uh, gothic, or this is creepy, or this is scary, or this is you know, like the the appeal of the Hannibal Lecter character." Like in the opening credits, when you see the the crows on the on the you know piazza kind of floor, and you see they all make the Hannibal Lecter face, and then they fly away, and it's just there for a split second. I can see him being all into that. You're like, oh, because the character's a mystery and because he's – and, you know, one of the moments you're talking about, the slow motion, is the moment where Hannibal slashes the throat of one of the the, the Italian gangsters. And yes. 
it's done in this like very weird staccato kind of like slow motion thing. And I was thinking, oh, that's to make Anthony Hopkins look like he has some energy to it <laughs> because, because it is sort of hard to believe. I mean, I, I, you know, I love Anthony Hopkins as much as anybody, but like, you know, you see some of the things that he's doing in this movie. Speaking of Saul, where you're kind of like, well, he couldn't do that by himself. He couldn't be lifting this and right. moving this and, 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 and facing two, you know, thugs down in mortal combat. Um, so maybe Scott's trying to add a little bit of energy or a little bit of, you know, just what he thinks the aesthetic should be, you know, because I mean, I, you know, and I agree with you largely because like, you know, Alien, your Blade Runner, I love Thelma and Louise, I, you know, Hannibal's fun, Black Hawk Down, like you're watching these movies and you're going, he really doesn't have one particular voice, but he's almost like just like the best utility player in movie history like he's just like yeah i can do a lot of i can do a lot of things you know i can play short i can play first i can you know hit off the bench in the ninth inning like i can do a Uh, lot of things you lost me i'm sorry yeah i'm sorry so baseball uh metaphors yeah so uh (laughs) a guy who can do a lot of things doesn't play just one specific (sighs) he does seem to be into the aesthetics of the movie uh which again helps it's a very beautiful looking movie um, especially all the stuff it does, in Italy. It's got a little bit of that desaturation problem, though, at times. Ah, especially yes, in Clarice. the early 2000s. Yeah, it's got that early 2000s Clarice in the basement uh, desaturized blue thing. Um, that bothered me a little bit. But anyway, well, And this is him coming right off of Gladiator, right? Gladiator. Which won yeah, all yeah. the Oscars. And for this to be his next movie, I feel like he maybe made this movie before Gladiator won a bunch of Oscars because I don't think I, he signs on to do it as no. sort of the most prestigious filmmaker in the industry at the time. Apparently, um, De Laurentiis comes to him on the set of of Gladiator. It's like, okay. hey, we got this movie. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's a kind of an actor. He gonna eat the brain. <laughs> Bella Babina, you know. <laughs> hey, uh, are we making a movie? We eat Ray Liotta's brain, uh, you know. Um, that effect, like, almost still holds up. Like, it's it's oh, fine. It's it doesn't. Creative. It doesn't. You can see the seams just a little bit, but but I like think it still it's, works. It's because of Ray Liotta's performance. Because as <laughs> yeah. much as you're. As much as you're watching the skull cap, you're looking at his face. Right. And, I mean, you, you know, you talked about uh, uh, Gary Oldman giving the performance of the movie. Number two is Ray Liotta. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because, oh, because his just whole, like, you know, Paul, be nice. And he's like, Paul? <laughs> and his, like, blood starts to drip down his forehead. He's like, you know, the way he talks to Clarice as he's slowly losing consciousness, you know, he's like... <laughs> I'm not going to hire her now. You know, like, I can't even do it justice because he's just such a douchebag and he's so like, but you love watching him die, but also you're like, it's weirdly, it's, you're sort of weirdly sympathetic because it's like you're watching Hannibal Lecter rip a guy's skull, you know, eat brains right, and he, right. when, when, when he feeds him the piece oh and you just gosh. see, <laughs> you just see Julianne Moore go, what? And she just dry heaves. Like, that's the point where you can see audiences, you know, I didn't see this in a theater, but you can see audiences be just, just losing it. Just like, I could see critics walking out, you know? Yes, this played multiplexes, you know? <laughs> like, this yeah. this stars well, Oscar winners. This was directed by Ridley Scott. A man is yeah. being fed his own brain in the climax of the movie. Right. And, and then that man goes and chops his own hand off at the end, too, which... Um, right. It's a fun reveal, but it does it does kind of speak to, I think, 
how effective Silence of the Lambs is at conveying the horror of the Hannibal Lecter character in with almost, I mean, no gore at all. There's no gore in Silence of the Lambs. Right. Like you don't see really anything happen at all. Um, but because of the way he's spoken about, because of the set, you know, dressing of the prison, because of the performance, you see so much of, you know, your brain, it's the thing where your brain does the heavy lifting, you know, and, and, and watching Hannibal and, um, I, I, as I, I might have said earlier, I did go back and rewatch the third season of the show just in preparation for this because um, I had the time. Um, and you know, I, I tw- tweeted the other day like Hannibal was a movie that is made, and as you just said, by Ridley Scott, the biggest director in the world, with movie stars in it. Hannibal is a show that takes that to eleven and aired on network television yeah. for three years. Like it's it's almost a Twin Peaks thing where you're like you're watching an episode of Twin Peaks, you're going, "How is this on network television?" <laughs> And, and and how is it the biggest movie in the or biggest TV show in the country for a solid year? Um, Hannibal's almost the same because by because by you know horror movie standards the the gore is not super um, it's not like a ridiculous gore fest but those particular moments that they do choose you know I'm thinking like the disembowelment and all that stuff um, they do they you know he, Scott does go all into I don't think I think that he'd get some credit because he he doesn't shy away from it. You know, as you said before, it is a monster movie, and he does go right for it. He's like, he's like, you know what? No, we're going to show the brain. We're going to show the disembowelment. We're going to show this. We're going to show that, and not, you know, not try to maybe pull back on it a little bit. And say, oh, we're going to suggest it, you know, because I'm a classy filmmaker. He's like, no, I'm going to. We we built this prosthetic. We're going to show it, you know. Well, and this which goes, I give him credit for. This goes back to something that drives me crazy, which is, you know, it's really all a matter of um, personal taste. Because I, I, you know, I made the comparison earlier to Texas Chainsaw and Texas Chainsaw Two, and this is again very apt in terms of what it decides to show. Because Texas Chainsaw shows almost nothing, and then for Texas Chainsaw Two, oh. Toby Hooper is like, "Well, what if we hire Tom Savini and we show <laughs> everything?" Um, and that's right. exactly what Hannibal does versus Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs is very understated. You know, the bloodiest thing is kind of the the face of uh, what's his name. It's not Charles Napier is the guy hanging. I don't remember the other guys, you know, whose face gets removed. Oh but, yeah. Um, um, yeah, Jim Pembry. And right, <laughs> right. And Ridley Scott says, "Well, hey, what if we just show everything?" And there seems right. to be this belief that that that's a mistake, or that that is because you can't do better. That Silence of the Lambs is a better movie because it chooses to show nothing. And Silence of the right. Lambs is a better movie. Like, I will concede that point. But it's not because it chooses to show nothing. I'm not necessarily more impressed with a film that decides to show nothing versus a movie that decides to show everything, provided the movie that decides to show everything is doing it well. I don't think less of a movie because it decides to show everything. If that's its only function, if it exists just to be a showcase for gore, well then your movie's not very good. But if you have a good movie and you choose to show stuff, I don't think that that's a knock against the film. But I'm constantly reading people who are just like, well, you know, they, this person was able to get scares without showing all that gore. And it's like, well, just because they chose to show it isn't a demerit. It's just something that you personally don't like to see. Or it's just a function of the aesthetic of the movie. Like right. Demi doing gore wouldn't make any sense. Like he's not and about this movie that. not doing, doing it doing- would have made no sense. It would have made no sense you at all. You can't have story is a Mason Verger in this movie and then not right. show the brain at the end of the film. 
Exactly. Yeah. No. And, and I and I agree with you because I know that is something you bump up against a lot. And I, you know, and anybody would say like, oh, well, the real artistry is not showing anything at all. And you know, there's a degree to that, which sometimes that's true. But there I think is it's an artistry to the, that, absolutely. But there's also yeah, an artistry it, to showing stuff. Yeah, and it's and it's and it's true in the context of the movie and right. of the filmmaker right. of the creatives. Like, if you're doing it well, if I know that I can have a scene where I've got Ray Liotta with half a brain uh, or half a skullcap, and Ray Liotta is also going to give a great performance and I've got a good effect and I've got the, the mise-en-scene all set up in this great way. And I know that I can shoot it real well. Yeah. Show it. Cause that's what the audience is waiting for. The audience wants to see that whether you, you can't talk about Hannibal Lecter as this, as this crazy murderous cannibal character for 20 years of pop culture and then be like, you know, what? we're going to pass. We're going to rewrite the brain scene. Right. We're going to do something different because uh, 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 Gladiators Ridley Scott doesn't want to do it. You know, Dio Laurentiis would have been, you know, you would have been crazy to do it. You know, we just show the brain. You know, we eat the brain. It's delicious. People love it. People eat their own brain. <laughs> In my movie, I'm, when the monkey died, people are going to cry. <laughs> Oh, Dino. He runs the library. He likes to read the books. <laughs> uh, what else about Hannibal? Anything else you want to say? Um, yeah, no, just uh, since when is an FBI agent getting suspended in the news every day? <laughs> um, it's a big deal. It's my favorite thing because, and I love that. I love that uh, uh, in those. Like, I think there's. I think there's three news stories about Clarice in the, over the course of the film and each one of them mentions that she became famous because she interviewed Hannibal Lecter right not not because she brought down Buffalo Bill it's like oh yeah when she was a trainee she uh uh, uh murdered a murder like she, <laughs> she caught this notorious serial killer it was well she became very famous 10 years ago from interviewing Hannibal Lecter and it's like no that's famous because we've all seen the silence of the lambs in the world of the movie. She would be famous for this other thing. And it's like, Oh, it's an excuse to put Hannibal's picture up on the screen. You know, I thought that I always thought that was kind of funny. A little, little like world building things that just make no sense. But um, yeah, I kept thinking like, man, she's really getting a lot of shit for this, uh, this drug dealer getting killed on her watch, even though like, don't they record the, don't they record the, 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 the conversations between the agents? She's clearly saying, don't do that. Don't, right. Hey, you, don't right. do that. Where's, where's this DC cop that should be in trouble? You know, I, I understand that it's a function of the movie. But, um, yeah, no, I, 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 I like this movie a lot. I just, um, you know, I, I think that there are ways in which the story is done better in other venues, but also separating it from my love of, Silence of the Lambs, I think is really interesting because this is one of the only franchises. When you, when you think about things you really love, you know, like think about like franchises or TV shows or whatever, like, you know, Star Trek, right? Like you, you, when you see subpar Star Trek, you're kind of like, ah, like, uh, yeah, but like, this isn't this, you know, I like this better. For some reason with the Hannibal Lecter franchise, whatever you want to call it, um, I really am able just personally to compartmentalize and say like, yes, well, Silence of the Lambs is this beautiful prestige picture and Manhunter is this you know, really cool edgy kind of 80s film and you know Tom Noonan is an awesome, crazy person in that movie. Um, and Hannibal is this weird monster movie. And, and you can look at them independent of each other and still appreciate the through line. Um, and I think that, that that's – I don't know many franchises that can really get away with that. Um, yeah. I don't think there's too many. Uh, and ha- I think the Hannibal series is definitely one of them. So I definitely appreciate it for, for, for that, for sure. 
the the only the the other franchise that comes to mind, and that's because I just rewatched one of the sequels for a piece that I'm writing with Adam that'll be out later this week, is the Alien franchise, where like every one of them, even though there's continuity throughout and they're sort of telling one long story, they're all each one is a is a different filmmaker completely reinventing the aesthetic and the tone and almost the genre of film in which they're working. Um, and so you can compartmentalize, well, I really like, you know, one, two and four, but I don't like three, or I really like one and three, but I don't like two and four. I don't know who the people are that like one and three, but don't like two, but (laughs) I'm sure they exist. Um, and Hannibal's kind of like that, you know, where it's like, it's, there's such different takes on the same material that you can't really group them in together. Having said that, I've never seen Hannibal Rising, so how big of a fan of this franchise can I really be? I've seen it the one time, and I don't really intend to see it again. Because so. yeah. you pull the mask off of this great character, it's like, I don't want to see, I don't want to sympathize with him. I don't want to see how he became this. No, stop it. He's I don't want to see him rise. I don't want to see him rise. I've seen enough things rise. I want to see Hannibal <laughs> rise. So I need to watch season three of the show. I would really recommend season three. Is but then rare, I need to like go back and watch one and two again. Which okay, well, good thing you know, good thing we have time. Um, yeah, because season one is like more or less straight procedural. Then season two starts; it gets a little navel gazing, and then season three is just like it is just up its own ass. Like it is just so like season three is like for completists only. It's like we are going to have Hannibal Lecter and Will Graham fall in love and be petty and murder people and do all this crazy, just. I don't know, over-the-top shit, and I, I love it. I think it's great. All right. Well, cool. And it's got a great cliffhanger ending, too. For the season four the that's show. never coming. Yeah, probably not, yeah. Nope. And you heard they wanted to well, cast Saoirse Ronan as Clarice Starling, right? Uh, well, I didn't hear that. It, it was that because they're doing the Clarice series, right? I think that was the intent for Hannibal. Oh, really? Eventually, they were going to bring Clarice Starling into it, and they wanted to cast Brian Fuller wanted to cast Saoirse Ronan, right? Because they have a they have a a kind of a a Clarice analog in the on the show. They have that um, Miriam Lass character, who's kind of like a you know she's a FBI uh, trainee, and she has kind of a similar fate, sort of. Uh, But you know that would have been interesting. I actually I never heard that. Yeah, yeah. That's why people listen to the show for uh, breaking news like that. (laughs) from five years ago (laughs) um all right well thanks for talking hannibal with me it was fun well it was always always fun i think i you know what i mean better taste might prevail but i think we should keep going i think we should do i think we should do red dragon i think we should do manhunter i think we should do hannibal rising i don't know about hannibal rising but i'm willing to do the other two I'll take that. <laughs> Thank you guys very much for listening. As always, you can check out our stuff every day at fthismovie.com. You can uh, find us on Twitter at fthismovie. We're on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, uh, all the places where you find the stuff. And you can email us at fthismoviepodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget June exploitation coming up June 1st. And uh, we'll be back next week with a new episode from Quarantine. Thanks again, Rob. Cordell. Cordell. Hold down. Hold
Thanks for listening to FS Movie.